Everybody get a hug? Did anybody get left out of a hug? Everybody got a hug? All right. I know. Now save some conversation for lunch so you just don't look at them while you eat, right? All right. No, that's good. Well, a couple things on amounts today. Again, right after service, we'll have lunch uh, in the fellowship hall. Beautiful day. Sit inside, sit outside. We have Claro's uh, sandwiches coming. It'll be coming. Not right now, right? You got to hold on uh, for just a little bit. And then this week is our food outreach. So this Friday is our food set up at one o'clock. And then on Saturday, our free food ministry. There are cards uh, in the back. Please take them, pass them out. Uh, it's the card that we pass out to everybody. It mentions the, the dates, gives them the website to know the times and the whole bit. Now, there is one change. Summer hours, we're going to start serving at 9. So those of you that come and serve, come at 8.30. Uh, and actually, it takes probably, uh, we're usually done around an hour, though there's cleanup. Uh, but again, this is to help people. We, you know, we have people when we serve at 10, they wait two hours for us to open the door at 10 o'clock. And so hopefully this, this is good as we uh, hopefully get into some warmer weather. But um, anyways, come on out. And then water baptism will be the first Sunday in July. Um, email in, in fact, look for an email this week, info at hillschurcharcadia.org or go to the website. If you have not been baptized, if there's something stirring in your heart that you feel like this is the step, we'll do that. And then we'll have we've done a celebration after with lunch. So that'll be on July 2nd. So I want to mention that. Well, I'm going to read uh, one verse for our offering. In fact, I think it's about five or six words, seven. And Second uh, Corinthians five, seven says this for we walk by faith. And not by sight. This is a sentence of the believer's life, isn't it? For we, but we would rather walk by sight and then I'll walk by faith, right? That's usually how, how the flesh likes. No, we walk by faith first and then by sight. Many times it's always important to go back and remember all of the things that God has done, especially as we've stepped out, but we walk by faith. We trust God. God knows every minute detail of your life, my life, every detail. He knows what's concerning us, but we're to walk by faith, we're to trust him. So as we do each and every week, I want to put up our offering prayer, but I want you to pray it individually, right? Pray it as, as it's, if it's just you here in the room, and let's pray this together uh, to our Father that we remember that we walk by faith. As I give in today's offering... I have faith to see beyond my present circumstances, beyond my needs and my desires. Today I walk by faith and I see God working on my behalf. I give with great expectation for my God to do the impossible through me. In Jesus' name, amen. In fact, if you're giving today in service, there is an envelope in your seat back pocket. You can place that in the giving slot on the wall by the sound booth as you exit. Go to our website, hillschurcharcadia.org. You can give online or give by the P.O. box. You know, we talk about uh, stepping out in faith. Uh, I forgot to mention this earlier, too. 
you know, through our food outreach, we're feeding probably about a thousand people a month. And then just a couple weeks ago, uh, Steve and Eileen were able to now get at Santa Anita Racetrack. They're taking food. Did you go twice last week or just once? Two times. There are 800 people that live at the Santa Anita Racetrack, men, women, and children. And what started by, they take care of 1,200 horses, right? We have three dogs. I was thinking, can you imagine 1,200 horses? That's crazy, right? I mean, but all of a sudden, because of, right, stepping out in different places, here there's another avenue, right? So we always need to pray that God supplies uh, food to go out there. Anyways, I thought that was a great one. All right. Well, if you have your Bibles, uh, open with me to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. We'll get there in just a minute. My message title today is, I am Jesus. And when I, I thought that, I thought, wait, that sounds like I am Iron Man, right? I am Iron Man. No. Uh, I am not Jesus. Jesus is going to say this to Saul on the road to Damascus. Three powerful words that I pray impact your heart today. As if Jesus is speaking to you to say, I am Jesus. Just hearing that, right, puts you at attention I am Jesus. Well, we've been looking at, in the book of Acts, Jesus ascending. We've been looking at the disciples uh, and the 120 being filled with the Spirit. Pre Peter preaching and 3,000 accept the Lord. The early church coming together. The early church growing. We looked last week at the generous church that God did amazing things through people. They brought property and they brought their sports cars and they brought everything. to. They didn't have sports cars back then. But they brought everything to help supply. We talk about, I really believe we'll see that in these days, that we have to trust the Lord to do things uh, through our lives. But I want to look today at something that happens that Jesus goes after an individual, and he's going to reveal himself to this individual. And so we're going to look at that. But I want to read a couple verses before. Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, Jesus says these words, and I think it kind of sets it up. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. And, and Jesus says, will be preached. You know, and I was reading that, I thought, oh boy, right? To all of us. Well, you might say, I'm not a preacher. It doesn't matter if you're not a preacher up there. We all have the opportunity. We're all, we have co-workers. We have neighbors. We have family members. This gospel will be preached. Just this week, we're at our Foursquare convention. And we're walking by this booth, and I remember seeing a, a gentleman that was the youth pastor. I've told this story time to time. that invited me to speak at his Christian punk rock outreach, which he'd never told me it was punk rock. I know I've told this story a few times. So we walked by and I said, uh, his name's Kevin. I said, Kevin, you know, every once in a while I tell this story at my church. Well, the story went like this. I'm invited to come do an outreach. They didn't say punk rock. Do you know what punk rock is? You don't need, even need to know how to sing. You don't even need to know how to play an instrument. You just get up there and scream and yell. So I walk into this punk rock bit and I mean, they're screaming and yelling. There's mosh pits. Kids, I don't even know how many kids were there, three, four hundred kids. And then at some point, they're going to do a timeout, have everybody sit and have me speak for 15 minutes. 
Well, I have the same haircut today that I had back then. I don't, I don't have the boots on. I don't have knives or chains or, you know, any of those things hanging out. And these kids are going crazy. It's hot. It stinks. It's sweaty. And here I'm supposed to present the gospel. And I get up, and every kid's sitting down, <gasps> breathing hard, you know, patching up the bloody cuts, you know, doing everything they can to do. And I'm speaking, speaking, and I give an invitation to accept Jesus. Now, the church was ready in the kitchen area to like handle 30 to 50 kids to accept the Lord. And I remember as I asked for people to look at me and raise their hands, nobody's looking at me. Nobody's raising a hand until this little boy, I don't know, you know, he kind of like sticks his hand up and he was probably like looking around. Did he just say, everybody raise your hand and look at me? And so he does it and then he goes into the room. Um, we stayed a little bit more and then we left and I had Michelle drive home from Escondido and you can ask her, I never let her drive usually with me, right? It doesn't, doesn't matter. It doesn't mean she's a bad driver. I didn't say that. I didn't say that, right? I felt so dejected. I felt like I was worthless. Here I was invited to come to this outreach that the church had put on. Here this church and team had all this set up and threw me only one kid. And so we're driving home, and I think it was almost to the home that this guy Kevin calls, and he's like, you, that was amazing, right? And like, are you at a different event than I was at? He says, this little boy, he goes to the story, and, and I mean, it was like a mess. And it, that he, we never thought, right? We never thought he'd accept the Lord. And that was kind of the end of the story until we see him on whatever it was Wednesday. And so I said, I tell this story a lot at church, right? How terrible I felt. Michelle drove me home and you called. And he says, you know what? That night changed our youth group for as long as I was there. You know, sometimes we never hear those things. But this gospel will be preached. I was thinking about, um, I don't know why my mother-in-law here is Mary. Her and her husband, Roger, they ended up being a part of a church in India that I ended up going by getting a picture. There's a Bible college there. Who knows how many pastors and leaders have been raised up and spread all throughout. I mean, they'll never know, but we're all going to know one day when we stand before Jesus. And he's going to say, what did you do with my gospel? Because it's not a choice of what will I do. It's he's telling all of us that very important word, right? It will be preached, right? Our lives are preaching. And then I love... Uh, John the Baptist's heart in John 3, verse 30. You know, there's a clothing line called, He is greater than I. In fact, it's got the little greater. How many of you had a hard time when you had to learn all those symbols, like in math? But John the Baptist is preaching. People are repenting. They're getting baptized. Uh, he's got a following. He has disciples. Jesus comes on the scene. In fact, if you read a few verses up, people are like, hey, Jesus, these guys are baptizing too. And instead of John saying uh, anything, he says these words. I must, he must increase, but I must decrease, right? He must increase, I will decrease. And that's that humbling part of allowing God to use you with the gospel. This thing will be preached. John the Baptist Who's baptizing more, John? Who's doing more? Who's doing more? He, he has to increase. 
And for him to eat increase, I need to step out of the way. So it's interesting when we read about the two more verses here. When we, not that I'm done after two verses, but two more verses here. Acts 5, 38 and 39. This early church gets going. Gamamel, they're, they're identifying the church. And he says these words about the early church. He says, uh, and, I, and now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. We're going to look at that today. We're going to look at somebody that was fighting against God. I don't want to fight against, there. that's a fight I do not want to be in. I do not want to fight against God. I do not want to mock God, right? I don't want to do any of those things. But we're first introduced to the Bible of a man named Saul. We're going to look at him. Uh, his resume had everything you would. In fact, he, he was probably being groomed to take over as really the scholar of that day. Uh, and when we read about him, there's some interesting verses we read in Acts 7, 58. Uh, it talks about Stephen, that they cast him out of the city. They stoned Stephen, and the witnesses laid down the clothes at the feet of Saul. Saul witnessed the very first martyr of the church, Stephen, being stoned to death, and all of the clothes were, were laid at the feet of Saul. We read uh, words like this in Acts chapter 8, verse 1 and 3. Now Saul was consenting to their death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout all the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, here we see him again. He made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. This is Saul, right? That consenting, it, it's like he was pleased that Stephen was murdered. He was pleased to come in your house and to drag you and your family out as being Christian. The word havoc kind of gives us a, a picture of an animal growing after its prey. It's starving and it wants to go after its prey. Yet think about it today. We would call Paul, in the modern day, we would call Paul a violent religious extremist. Right? He'd be a terrorist. You and I know probably about this much of persecution. We read things that are happening in the news, that are happening with the church, but this is nothing compared to what happened to the early church. And the leader of this is Saul. In fact, here's the scary thing. Saul thinks he's doing God's work. Talking about havoc, talking about murdering Christian. In fact, he hates the name of Jesus. He hates the gospel. He hates the church. And he wants to murder the Christians for believing in this Jesus. And I thought about this. I don't think I even hate. Well, I shouldn't, right? I don't hate anybody. Do you? And so somebody went, I don't hate anybody. Now, I might not like somebody, right? Doesn't mean that it's wrong, but I don't hate. This is a different type of hate, right? This is completely destructive. His mission is to destroy this church. In fact, 
one of the last verses before we get into Acts 9, it mentions that he's still breathing threats of murder. He's out to destroy this church. You know, when we think about Saul, we don't read this in the scripture. He might have been at the crucifixion. He probably was around at Jesus' resurrection. He might have been in the area when Peter preached and 3,000 accepted the Lord. You know, we just don't see him until he shows up to kill, uh, to kill Stephen. So here's what I want to read in Acts chapter 9. And I want to read these nine verses. Acts chapter 9, verse 1 through 9. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. And he asked letters from him to the synagogue of Damascus, so that if any who were found of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. I was reading this and it really made me think, you know what, I almost think he took this as a personal mission. Personal mission. That he would go ask letters to destroy the church. In verse 3, and as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my church? Doesn't say that, does it? Jesus makes it personal. Why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he trembled and astonishedly said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Let's all say that together. Ready? Lord, what do you want me to do? Have you ever asked that of the Lord? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, in verse 5 again, whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Well, Jesus said to him in verse 6, Then the Lord said, Arise, go to the city, and you will be told what to do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were open, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight and neither ate or drank. You know, I encourage you to lead, uh, read on and read about Saul. Read about the Lord speaking to somebody. And the very first thing when the Lord spoke to somebody else about Saul, he's like, you got to be kidding. You want me to go Saul? Uh, Lord, don't you know about him? Are, are you paying attention to what this guy does? But Jesus had a mission. I, I thought about this. We used to have a saying that said, get off your high horse. Anybody ever said that before, right? Get off your high horse. Well, that's exactly what happened to Saul, right? He's blinded. And Jesus has that saying, I am Jesus. I am Jesus. You know, I thought about this. One of the first things we learn about the life of Saul before Paul is this, if Jesus is going to change him into a different person, he's got to deal with the direction that Saul is going. So let's make that personal. The very first thing that Jesus needs to do in our life is change the direction that we're going, right? He must increase, I must decrease. The words of Jesus, not my will, 
Not my way, but yours be done. I, I, I am Jesus. Destroying the church was the direction that he was going. Now building Jesus' church is God's direction. You know, Paul's going to write three quarters of the New Testament. He's going to preach uh, in, in 50 different areas. He's going to have three missionary journeys. He's going to get the crud beat out of him. He's going to get bit by a snake. He's going to be shipwrecked. He's going to show up in places and they make fun of how he looks because he was so beat up, but he didn't show up in the physical strength. He knew that what followed him was the power of God. I am Jesus that's on you. I am Jesus. We read later in Acts 13 that he was all of a sudden called Paul. Like it just switches. Saul to Paul. Now, in the Old Testament, we see that. Abram, Abraham. Sarai, Sarah. God would do that. He would change the name uh, of people. Jacob, Israel. Jesus, God, never really changed his name, but he went by a different name, which is very interesting because the name Paul means a little one. This man is mighty, though. Unusual miracles that he's doing. Handkerchiefs and aprons are healing people, right? Calling out demonic people, unusual miracles. And it's interesting, though, his name, his name. This week, again, another story. I, I do this all the time. We have a good pastor, friends of ours. They live close to us. Their daughter is two months, I think she's two months pregnant. And so we were asking if she knew what they were going to have. And they haven't yet. And so we said, do you have names? And she says, we have, but we're not telling anybody. And so I always say this, I so, I so appreciate, Walter is the greatest name that you chose. It really is. People will be astounded that you called your, you know, and, and everybody's laughing, right? <laughs> they think it's, then I think, that's sad, you're laughing at my name. <laughs> Have you ever thought about changing it? Like, honestly thought, I'd really like to change my name to, anybody honest? Like, I wouldn't, but anybody thought about I'd really like to change, nobody, right? Everybody loves your name. I'd like to, cha I'd like to change my name to Maverick. Right? I'd like to change my name to this. Well, all of a sudden, we see something different, but it's interesting is that that name meaning is something different, Paul. So let me close with this. We, we saw that Paul had his eyes blinded that he couldn't see for three days. He ends up being able to see, eat something, and preaches the gospel, like, right away. So I want to look at Paul's open eyes, and I want to re read a few of these scriptures. And we know that this scripture became a foundation and something powerful for him in 1 Corinthians 1.18. It says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Let's look at his eyes. 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Now there's something that I would never say imitate me. Right? That's imitate. Now people might make fun of me, but don't imitate. Paul was confident that he imitated Christ Jesus. And he said, I, right? His eye, I imitate Christ. Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings 
being conformed to his death, that I, right, there's his eyes, that I may know him. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ that gives me strength or strengthens me. Beat up, shipwrecked, beaten with rods, stoned and left for dead, thrown naked in the jail, floating in the deep for a day and a half. He always would say this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Last one, Galatians chapter 2.20. He's got all these eyes, right? His identity changed. And he says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So he mentions that I imitate Christ. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. I can do all things through Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. His identity no longer is in destroying Jesus' church. He's taken on the identity of Jesus himself to build his church, regardless of the personal, physical sacrifice. You know, we were uh, on our 25th, was it anniversary? We were in Rome. We found the prison of Paul. Uh, it's at Mamertime. You can look it up. There's images of it. And we went down. It's probably two stories down. It's actually in the sewer. And the story that you read, it, in fact, on the wall, it says that Paul baptized uh, the jailers there. Well, we don't read that in the scripture. We don't know. It was something inscribed in there. But here's what we do know is in the city, that is where the sewage at many of the times would come up into the cells. And they actually showed, and you can see it on there, uh, in that area, you'd have to get up on what would be your stone bed to escape the sewage. We read, those, we read about those things that when he's in jail, he's saying things like rejoice in the Lord. And I'm thinking like he's climbing up, right? Here it's coming in. The sewage, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Say that next time the toilet overflows, right? Oh, who was in here last? Rejoice in the Lord always, right? No, you don't say that at all, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Just bring me a coat. It's cold, right? He wrote that. I'm cold, but he was still ministering. It did not matter. He was sold out. His eyes had changed. You know, bow your heads, if you would, with me, and I, I encourage you to go to our website, download the notes, there's a section on there, as for me and my house. There's great questions uh, for you to ask of your family. But I want to ask this question to us today. Am I allowing the Holy Spirit to work through me in a transformation like Saul to Paul? Am I allowing him? Because there are Sauls out there. We might have Sauls that are in some of our family, our neighbors, co-workers, and maybe there's parts of us that are Saul's that we need to get off the high horse. We need to remember John the Baptist's words, he must increase, I must decrease. And we stop and we remember, the whole, allow the Holy Spirit to work through us and through our lives. So Father, we, we come to you today. We thank you for the Holy Spirit inspiring Luke to stop 
after the early church in Peter and to look at Saul to Paul. Because your gospel will be preached. And we see the power of it operating through somebody that submitted their life to you. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to work on our hearts that we rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let the anthem of our prayer even today be that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Stand with me if you would. We're going to close with a song. Acts 9, verse 8, it says, Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. How can your eyes be open and you not see? Is it possible that when he asked for instruction and the Lord gave him the instruction to go to Damascus, that instantly his eyes were open, his spiritual eyes? to see what he could not see. But he still couldn't see. So I want to suggest to you today, I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what's going on in your family, what you're believing for in your family, on your job, in relationships, whatever it is. Ask for instruction. He is faithful to give instruction. The word says in James, if we lack wisdom to ask, he will give it liberally. And in that giving of wisdom, your eyes will be open. You might not see the change in the physical, but your eyes will be opened to see what only God can see. And you will then be standing from a place of victory because your eyes are open. So this week, our instruction from the Lord is to ask. Whatever it is you're believing for, whatever you need instruction on, ask. He will give instructions. And it might be like with, Paul, with Saul, Go to Damascus, and then you will get the instructions. And this is for another time, but it's interesting. As I read down, do you know whose house he sent him to? Of all the disciples he could have sent him to. Do you know whose house it was? Judas. The house of Judas. So let me tell you this. God might even use somebody that you would have never thought to get across to you what only he wants to get across to you. Ask, let your eyes be open. You might not see the, the full thing unveiled, but God is faithful to open your spiritual eyes to see what he is going to do. Amen? That was some good word, people. That was some good word.
I don't know about you, but I am always up for a Claro sandwich. And we're going to have plenty next door. So before we head on over, let's pray for our food and then we can dig in. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for this house.